Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. So glad you have joined us on our live stream, whether you're on Facebook or on our website. We are glad you're here. My name is Cameron. I have the privilege, the privilege uh, of serving as one of our pastors here. Uh, and this morning, we are, are just excited about what we are going to be uh, looking at in Scripture this morning, excited about worship, uh, and are so glad that you're able to join us. Um, if you are on our website, you'll see right below, there is a couple things that you can look at. There's the discussion guide that you'll have an opportunity to look at uh, later. Um, as well as some other links, as we'd love to connect with you. We have our guest check-in there as well. If you are new to us, maybe you're on Facebook and you're not sure about um, who we are, you can learn a little bit more about us on our website at fbczealand.org slash livestream. And uh, check in on that guest check-in and let us know who you are, where you're from, uh, and we would love to connect with you. Uh, but this morning, I am very excited about where we're going. Um, we are continuing our People of Prayer series and, and looking at a really unique encounter that we see in Scripture. Uh, and so, before we do that, though, students, if you are at home, sitting there, if you're watching, uh, I want your help. Much like our, uh, our Sunday morning uh, teaching or times on Wednesday or Sunday nights, uh, a lot of times we kind of ask a simpler question to look at kind of where your heart is at, kind of gauge where your heart and your mind is at as we kind of dive into Scripture. So that's what we're going to do first this morning. We're going to look at a word, Trust. Now, a lot of you have, uh, would see this word and probably have certain emotions, certain feelings that, that are attached with it. Uh, some of you might think about maybe uh, grandparents that you have. Maybe they've been married for 50 or 60 years, and you just look at their relationship, and you're like, man, that is, that is a relationship that is just built on trust. It's an incredible thing. Or maybe you think about a, a, a friendship, uh, one of your best friends, where no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you might be struggling with, no matter where you are, uh, you know that you can trust that person, that that person would accept you for who you are. Um, but some of us might look at this word and say, man, uh, my trust has been broken. I've been in, in a relationship where uh, this didn't happen. Or I, I gave somebody my trust, but they broke it. Or students, maybe when you were younger, you can, younger, you can remember a time where you, when you broke the trust of your parents, and it was hard to get that back at times. Trust is, a, trust is a big deal. It takes a long time to earn it, and it's so easy to, to, give it a, to have it taken away. And some of you, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you've been hurt by the church. You think of this word saying, there's, there's no way that I can trust the church. There's no way that I can trust God. I've, I've had too much stuff going on in my life. I've had too much pain. I've had too much worry. Uh, I, I just don't think that I can, I can be on board with that. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, maybe you're a strong believer and you're walking with God, and maybe you're not so sure about all of this. Wherever you are in, on that spectrum, I believe that today's message is for you. And I believe that it'll challenge you a little bit, not just to kind of think about what, what trust in God looks like, but what does it mean for us to recognize our dependence on that? And so as we kind of dive in, as we kind of get ready to look at Scripture, I have a couple questions for you. The first one is, what are the things that you are putting your trust in? What are the things that you are putting your trust in? Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's money, maybe it's security, maybe it's your mortgage payment, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, but all of us have trust in something. What are those things in your life right now 
that you are putting your trust in. And students, you can help us. You have your discussion time after our message today. Make sure you can help facilitate that discussion with your family. What are the things that you are putting your trust in? And to gauge you a little bit more, how would you describe your level of trust in God? Where would you put yourself? Do you run to God when there's a problem or do you run away? When things in life don't go as planned or maybe the things around you don't seem like they, as, as they should be, what does it look like with your relationship with God? And because we're going to look at an encounter today where we see where the circumstances around the people that we're going to be looking at don't make sense. This is not how it was supposed to go. This is not what God said would happen. This is not what is, is happening. This, this is not what should happen. And we see trust come into play. And so, like I said earlier, we're continuing our People of Prayer message uh, series this morning. Uh, and we're looking at a man with probably one of the coolest names in the Bible, Jehoshaphat. Can you guys say that with me? Jehoshaphat. Uh, we don't have a ton about Jehoshaphat. Well, as you can see here, uh, really the bulk of his, of his life and his reign uh, come that we see in 1 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 17 through 20. But in those few chapters, we do learn a lot about who he is and what he's done. A few things that we've learned to kind of give you a, a timetable of where we are throughout history. Uh, Jehoshaphat is the great-great-grandson of, of King David. Uh, this is the David and Goliath David. He is the, the, the man after God's own heart. So Jehoshaphat is a great-great-great-grandson of, of David. We learned that he is the, the fourth king of, of Judah, as we got a map here, I can show you. Uh, after uh, David's son Solomon, the, the kingdom was split into, and in the north you have the kingdom of Israel, and the south you have the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is located. And so Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, as we see. He reigned for 25 years, uh, and scholars debate on this, but what we're looking at is about 870 to 845 BC, so quite some time ago, is looking at the reign of Jehoshaphat. Now, in those few passages of Scripture, the King's passage and the Second Chronicles passage, we learn a good bit about who he is and what he was trying to accomplish as a king. And so, we have a few things. Number one, in uh, chapter 17 of, of, of Second Chronicles, it says the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. The Lord was with him, and Jehoshaphat sought to follow God. It says in Scripture, and starting in verse 3, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor in abundance. His mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and Asherah poles from Judah." So much like his great-great-great-grandfather David, as, as David was a man after God's own heart, Jehoshaphat was really and always trying to emulate his great-great-great-grandfather. He wanted to honor God. And there's a few ways that we learn about that. It continues, uh, King Jehoshaphat sought to teach the law of God uh, to his people throughout the cities. We see in chapter 17, a little bit later, it says he had sent officials and Levites and priests to go into all the cities of Judah that he would teach God's law to the people. Now, this wasn't just the, relig the religious leaders or the people uh, who had a social status that was higher than others. This was all people. Jehoshaphat wanted to make sure that the people of Judah knew who God was. 
He wanted to make sure that he knew the promises of God. He wanted to make sure that the people knew the story of their history, that the promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and all of what God had done to deliver his people, he wanted to make sure that his people knew where they stood, that they served a God who was greater than anything else, the one and only God. And he wanted to make sure that in the cities of his kingdom, people knew who that was. It continues in 2 Chronicles 17. It says, Jehoshaphat was a strong and respected military leader. We see a couple of accounts, a description of his armies and what he tried to do to protect the kingdom of Judah. He built fortresses. He amassed soldiers so much so that no matter what, uh, the land that God had given him would be protected. It continues. In chapter 19, It says, Jehoshaphat appointed judges throughout Judah to help settle disputes in a way that honors God. And so we see some instruction that was given, and it was fascinating. In 2 Chronicles 19, verses 5 uh, through 11, and and verse 6, it says, Consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for a mere mortal, but for the Lord Yahweh, the covenantal God, who is with you in the matter of judgment. And so we see this picture of a good kingdom a kingdom that was honoring God and what they were trying to do. We see a king who sought to to please and honor God and wanted to make sure that people knew who the God it was that they served. And he set up a a structure that the the nation would be protected, that the people would know God. And even if there was issues, because people are people, you're going to have issues, it would be settled in a way that would honor God. And so if you look at this kingdom— and, and, and you look at the whole picture, you're like, man, things, things are going exactly as it should. People are honoring God. Uh, we have a king who honors God, who desires to be like the, the, the great David. Absolutely. We, we want somebody like that because David was a man after God's own heart. And so the kingdom was as it should be until it wasn't. Jehoshaphat has a problem, and that's where we pick up on our story today. And so in our People of Prayer series, what do we do when the world around us falls apart. What do we do when the world around us doesn't look like how we thought it would be? We're going to look at an encounter because Jehoshaphat's world, the kingdom that he had set up, one to honor God and the people around him who honored God, things should be going well, right? But we see that he has a problem. Picks it up, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. So if you have your Bible with you, if you have your Bible app, or maybe it's on your iPad or your phone, uh, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, because that's where we're going to spend the most of our time today. And it picks it up in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, after this, right after in verse 19, where we were talking about pointing the judges and sending them out to make sure that people honored God. It says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, together with some of the Mayanites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. That is a mouthful. Uh, People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So I got a picture here for us to kind of give us a picture. Uh, we're zoomed in just a little bit. We see the kingdom of Judah. We see Jerusalem. And right to the right of this is where the Dead Sea is. And the scripture is calling us to saying, hey, there, there's a group uh, of soldiers. There's armies. There's kingdoms coming after you, Jehoshaphat. And they're coming from the other side of the Dead Sea. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, or the, the, the Mayunites, uh, they, they're coming. And as you can see, this is the route, the red lines of the route that they are taking. It says they are already at En Gedi. So they're already in Judah. They've already worked their way up the coastline. And just to give you a picture of, of kind of what this looks like, you see in the middle there, 
This would be the Hazazon Tamar that is in Gedi. This would be the small town that these soldiers are already at. Um, so they are not far from Jerusalem where Jehoshaphat would be. Now, as you see, if, if they're already in and Gedi, already in Hazazon Tamar, it means they have very little time to protect the borders. They're already there. Meaning that the soldiers and the military might that they had are, are in all, for intents and purposes, are, are ineffective right now. They don't have the time to gather the troops. They don't have time to, to move people because armies from three different kingdoms are already within our borders and they're on their way to you. That's where we're at in the story. That's Jehoshaphat's problem. What do you do when the kingdom that you set up to honor God, the, 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 the kingdom that you set up so people would know God's word, the kingdom that you set up that, that leaders would honor God in the way that they handle judgment, the way that they handle disputes, what do you do when all of that starts crumbling down. And we see what he does. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he resolved to seek the Lord. And I want to pause there for just a moment because this is a pretty powerful thing. We see a king who has more power than most people who's afraid. We see a king who, who has the, the ability, the things at his disposal to, 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 to fight this off, but they're not going to be there in time. So instead of trying to, to, to rush something, instead of trying to fix the problem on his own, his response is that he resolved to seek the Lord. It continues, Then he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah, who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. And I think this is a pretty powerful moment in his reign as king. Because had he not spent the time to teach God's word, to teach God's law to the, city, uh, to the cities and towns in Judah, this probably wouldn't made a whole lot of sense to the people. When he declared a fast, he's not just saying, hey, we're, we're, times are tough, we don't have enough food. What he's saying is there are distractions in our life. There are things in our life that we are letting distract us. But the most important thing we can do right now with the armies at, uh, just at arm's length away is to seek the Lord. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to fast. Meaning we're going to draw our attention away from the things of this world. We're going to draw our attention away from even things like food and seek the Lord. We're going to seek his guidance. We're going to seek what we need to do as his people. And what I love about this, and you see as a, as a testament to his leadership, as a, as a spiritual leader for his, for his country, it says that the people, then he proclaimed a fast and who gathered who, uh, for Judah, who gathered to seek the Lord, and they even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. So there was a response. There was a group of people. The, the kingdom of Judah came together to seek the Lord, to remove the distractions in their fast, and said, we are seeking the Lord's wisdom in our problem." It continues. Jehoshaphat says a prayer. And this is kind of why we're in that People of Prayer series, because I believe that prayer is powerful. And prayer changes things. And here's what we see from Jehoshaphat. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. He said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? 
They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name and have said, if disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress and you will hear and deliver us. One commentator on this section of scripture put it very simply. In Jehoshaphat's prayer, you see a lot of stuff, but it kind of narrows down to, to, to a few simple things. It says, God, you have the power. You made the promise, and your name is our concern. You see him talking about the history. Hey, you, you are the God in heaven. You delivered your people. You made that promise to Abraham. We set up this temple to honor you. We know that your name is here. And if these soldiers, if these kingdoms come and destroy that, your name is at stake. You have the power. You made the promise. Your name is at stake. That is what we're concerned about, God. We want you to keep your promises, not just for, for our own lives and the sake of the kingdom. We want to keep your promises because we recognize the greatness of who you are and what you have done in this land. And we want to keep your promises here. We want to play a role in you keeping your promises that you made to your forefathers that we get to see now. It continues in his prayer. And man, I love this part. Now here are the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. That, my friends, is a powerful statement. That's real. Because we see a king who has all the power in the world that you might, you might argue. And he's at a place where he's saying, listen, we as a people, we're, there's, there's, there's no masks up. There's, there's no sideshow to, to, be, to be hiding up behind. We as a people are in trouble. We know the promises you've made. We know who you are. We know your character. And we have nothing to do but turn to you. How many times in your own life have you felt that? I know I have. That we don't know what to do moment. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's currently what's going on in our culture and the world that we live in right now. Maybe it's school stuff. Maybe it's a, a significant other relationship. Or maybe life is just not what you thought it was going to be. You look around and say, this is not what I had planned. This is not what I prayed for. This is not what I thought was going to happen with my life. And you're left with your hands saying, we don't know what to do. And in those moments, it is so important in how we respond. Because some of us are going to run away. Some of us are going to say, God, I, I'm mad at you. I, I can't do this right now. I, I, I want nothing to do with you. But we have an incredible example here that when times are tough, even when it seems like God has allowed the things in our life that we don't want or don't like, our response should be to say, God, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. It continues. We see your response. Because God hears his people. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeremy in his message, when, when we were talking about uh, the Israelites uh, being brought out of slavery in Egypt, and they were brought to the point of standing in front of the Dead Sea, or the, the Red Sea. Um, 
They had wilderness on either side of them, a, a huge body of water behind them. They see Pharaoh's army coming. And, and Pastor Jeremy reminded us to ask the question, where are our eyes in that moment? Are we looking at the things around us and saying, well, surely this is it. This is where the end is. Surely this is the, the end of, of, of me and all, all of my problems here. Or are we looking to God? to the God who hears us, to the God who knows our deepest desires and our hearts. Where are your eyes? And I thought that was a great reminder. So it continues in verse 13 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, All of Judah was standing before the Lord with their dependents, their wives, and their children. In the middle of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite from Asaph's descendants. And he said, Listen carefully, all Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Listen up, all the people. Right? God is responding to the cries of his people, responding to, to, to what he has heard them praying about in their fast. And then they're seeking of God. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Zez. And you will find them at the end of the valley of facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. And I'll be honest, if I were to be in the shoes of the people of Judah, I would say, God, I don't know what you're doing. You said the battle is not ours, but you still want us to go out there? That doesn't seem like a good idea. God, you still, you, you say the battle is not ours and we shouldn't be afraid or discouraged, but God, if we get anywhere close to those armies, we're, we're done. Yet here we see faith and trust as we talked about a few minutes ago. This promise he even says two times, says, do not be afraid or discouraged. He prefaces, God's response prefaces with that and says it at the end. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out there. Trust me. Trust me and you will see the salvation of the Lord. It continues. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the son of the Kohothites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, shouting loudly. It's a pinnacle moment in this story, a pinnacle moment of what is going to happen when your faith is tested with the sight of armies in front of you. When the things that you feared, you're facing right there, yet you have the promise of God saying, hey, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I am with you. In the morning, they got up early and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And I got, a, I got a picture of that for us as well. So give us a map. And Gedi, the, the armies are working their way up and they're getting towards Jerusalem. And this is where God sends his people. He says, go out to the desert of Tekoa. Go out to the wilderness and you'll see my salvation. It continues. 
Hear me, O Judah. This is Jehoshaphat talking. Hear me, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. And when they went out in front of the armed forces, they kept singing, Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. And in this moment, you see some of the spiritual leadership of Jehoshaphat. Because you see, they've, they've all witnessed the response of God. They've witnessed his promising, hey, don't be afraid. You can do it. Go on out. I will be with you. This battle is not yours. You will not have to fight them, but go out. And you see some of the spiritual leadership of Jehoshaphat saying, hey, believe in the Lord. Believe in the prophets. Meaning, believe in the promises that we know, the promises that we've, that we've read about, the promises that we've heard about, the promises that were made to Abraham, the promises that were made to Isaac. The story of God's redemption is not done. And he's reminding his people, saying, hey, let's not forget this. Let's not forget the God we serve. Let's not forget where we are and with whom we have communion with. And even more so, in an incredibly bold way, instead of arming soldiers and saying, get what you have and get what weapons you have and let's go just in case, he sends out singers to worship God. That they would stand before the armies and that they would sing praises to him and praise his holiness. And and man, let's be real. That's crazy to me. To think in, in, in my own life, if I were to be put in the shoes of, uh, of, of somebody in the kingdom of, Jehu, of, of Judah and hearing what Jehoshaphat is saying, he's like, I, I think I would struggle. I would say, well, well don't you want to have a backup plan just in case? What if they, they, they don't like our songs? What if uh, all of what we face uh, comes to a crashing and shouldn't we have a backup plan? What if God doesn't come through? What if God says what God says isn't true? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And some of you may be thinking that as well, maybe experiencing that, that similar doubt in, in what you're facing right now. Because a lot of times in our own lives, we can play that what-if game. What if God isn't who he says he is? What if God breaks this promise? What if God hasn't heard my prayer? What if God is not uh, doing what I thought he was going to do? What, if, what about all of the things that I see around me? Because surely this is not what we had in mind. Yet we see spiritual leadership from Jehoshaphat reminding his people of God's promises, saying, hey, this is not new. You know God's law. You know God's word. And we're going to rely on it. We're going to trust it, even when the things around us don't make sense. It continues. It says, The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir, who came to fight against Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. When Judah came to a place to look uh, overlooking the wilderness, they looked for the large army. And I got another picture here. It's, it's quite the wilderness. It says they looked for the large army, but there were only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. Then Jehoshaphat and his people went to gather the plunder. They found among them an abundance of goods and the bodies and valuable items. They stripped them until nobody could carry any more. They were gathering the plunder for three days because there was so much. They assembled in the valley of Baraka on the fourth day. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they placed, that place is still called the valley of Baraka today. 
Then all the men of Judah and Jerusalem turned back with Jehoshaphat, their leader, returning joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. So they came into Jerusalem to the Lord's temple with harps, lyres, and trumpets. The terror of God was in all the kingdoms of the land when they heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And then Jehoshaphat's kingdom was quiet, for God gave him rest on every side. This right here, I believe, is where the power of prayer comes into play. Because in those moments leading up to what was going to happen, none of the people of Judah, even the king himself, could say, yes, there's a way out of this. Yes, we see a way out of that. We just need to do a step A, step B, step C, and then we'll be good to go. Yet God displayed his salvation of people in ways that only God can do. This wasn't the result of human effort. God was glorified. The people of Judah were protected, and they were blessed with peace. What was going to be surely annihilation, what was going to be the end of the kingdom according to the eyes and and, and what they saw around them, was actually an opportunity for God to bless his people beyond anything they could possibly imagine. I'm not not here to say God's going to bring you through and you're going to end up with plunders and plunders of, of riches. But I do believe God works in ways that we can't even imagine. And in this example right here, we see God bless them not only with, with things, which are, are, are really minute, but he blesses them with a peace that they didn't have before. A peace that surpasses all understandings as we read about in the New Testament. God bless them with peace. So what does this mean for us? Because we read the story and we look at the history and we say, yeah, that's, that's great, Jehoshaphat. He, he displayed some really cool spiritual leadership and, and I think there's a lot that we can learn for that. But what does that mean for us today and here in Zeeland, Michigan or wherever you're watching from this morning? It means this. Our trust in God never has a reason to change depending on what we see around us. Our trust in God never has a reason to change depending on what we see around us. Let that sink in for a moment. This week, as, as I've been studying and, and, and praying through this message, there's a song that has it's just kept coming to my mind every single time I sat down to, to read, read the Bible or to, to look at my notes. And it was the song Waymaker. It was Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. And that song it just kind of hit me in a different way this week because when you, when you filter that song through the experience of what the people of Judah and Jehoshaphat experienced, God was their only way maker. He was their only promise keeper. He was their only miracle. And when everything around them seemed dark and dreary and like there was no way out, he was a light in the darkness. And one of the, 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 in the bridge of that song, I love it, it says, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't know it, you're working. Because that's what your Heavenly Father is doing for you. You may not see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. You may be experiencing something that you never thought you would. But I believe that God is working. That even when you don't see it, even when you don't know it, even when you can't experience it and the world around you is not how you planned it would be, God is working. And he is that way, maker. And what I love about this truth is that has nothing to do with our human effort or willpower. It says, not because of our own effort or willpower, but the never-ending love and faithfulness of God. 
The beauty here is that we recognize our dependence and need of God, and that gives us the opportunity to trust him and to not have reasons to change our trust depending on what we can see. As we grow closer in our relationship with God, as we grow deeper in our understanding of who he is, as we study his word more and learn about his promises and what he has continued to do and what will he continue to do in our lives, we can begin to see more and more our need of him. Not just our need of him, but his continued love and faithfulness to his people. And so, there will be times of fear. There will be times of worry. There will be times of doubt. There will be times when you let yourself down, let others down. Yet, there will not be times where God's love and his faithfulness lessens towards you. We have no reason to to change our trust in him because of what we see, because we serve a God who is bigger than all of what we see. So, a couple questions for you. When the circumstances around you are not what you thought it would be, what do you do? When, when life is, is not how you thought it would be, what do you do? And so this morning, I have a few truths to trust today. My, my fun alliteration for you. My truths to trust today. And I, I hope as, as, as you walk away from this morning and you think about the story and you witness the, the, the miracle workings of God and his greatness, that we can remember a few things. One, we have a God who hears us and desires a relationship with us. Wherever you are in your relationship with God today, maybe you're a strong believer, maybe you're not, you have a God who desperately desires and wants to have a relationship with you. So much so, that he sent his son Jesus to make that way, to be that way maker. So that wherever you are, you can can receive the Lord's salvation through faith in Christ. He desires a relationship with you and that relationship he desires and hears where you're at. He hears your prayer. He hears your cry. And he's willing to meet you in that place of brokenness, or meet you where you would never want anybody else to see or maybe never want anybody to see behind the filter of the mask that you're wearing. He is willing to meet you there and say, I am here for you. Number two, we serve a God who cares deeply about us and the big things and the little things. Now, in the the story that we saw, that was a big thing. The the threat of a kingdom is, is a big deal. I believe that God cares about the little things as well. And so uh, I have a very special guest with me this morning. And that special guest is is Bunny. Uh, She's also known as Bun Bun or Buns, depending on uh, the time of day. Uh, But this is Sydney, my daughter's Bunny. And she has had Bunny uh, for her entire life. And she's very well worn. I don't know how much you can see, but her, her ballet slippers, she's done plenty of ballet that she might need some new slippers soon. Uh, But Bunny is a very loved Bunny in our house. Now, to me, Bunny is, is just a small stuffed animal. Uh, really doesn't, doesn't carry much weight in my own life. I, 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 I like Bunny. I think she's cool looking. Uh, but to Sydney, Sydney, Bunny is a big deal. We, we don't leave the house with Bunny sometimes. If we go on a trip, we got to make sure Bunny is with us. When we go to bed, Bunny, Bunny has to be there. 
And as I began to learn and, 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 and grow and as a father and, and with, with Sydney and, and with Piper, um, Bunny has become very important to me. While she's a stuffed animal to me, she is of, of intrinsic value to Sydney. So I, I find myself at night making sure before she goes to bed, I, I'm glancing around to make sure Bunny is there. Uh, when we've gone to restaurants and, and Bunny has somehow uh, been left behind, I make sure to, to hightail it back to that restaurant to make sure that Bunny comes home. And if we lose Bunny, we, we make sure to find her. And if Bunny gets, gets a tear, we make sure to fix it because Bunny has value to Sydney. And because Bunny, Bunny has value to Sydney, she has value to me. Now, if I, who can, can let my daughters down many times, and I could fail as a father, and I can let people down, and, and I can be a sinful person, if I, as, as we see in Scripture as, as well, if I know how to care for the little things in my daughter's life, how much more so would God care about the little things in our life? So my challenge to you is, is don't let the little things be, well, God, God doesn't care about that. God, God's not going to care about that, because I promise that he does, because he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That relationship that he desires with you is not just a business relationship, but a loving relationship of closeness. Number three, God is bigger than the things we face. And that's a tough one to trust sometimes, because sometimes the things we face are bigger than our own strength and our own, our own power. And that's where dependence on God comes into play. And that question of where are your eyes when you face the things that are bigger than you? Do you let the things around you consume your thoughts and your worries and your anxieties and, and bring you to a place of, of, of fear? Or you say, God, I know you're bigger than this. I know that you love me. I know that you hear me and I know that you care about me. So whatever it does, doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm going to look to you. Much like Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do but we look to you. And lastly, God will be glorified. And we see that so perfectly in, in this encounter that we read, that no matter what, God will be glorified. And in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul, uh, after experiencing the, the goodness of God and, and a, a message from God, it says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And if that's not a wonderful picture of, of trust in your Heavenly Father, I, I don't know what else is. Because in those moments with Jehoshaphat and his people, they were at a place of weakness. But even in that place of weakness, God's power was, be able to, to, was able to be made perfect. So much so that God's glory was on display because he will be glorified. The people of, of Judah experienced the salvation as we saw at the end of our passage here was that the people around you, even the neighboring kingdoms and countries, recognized what God had done. They, they were in fear of God and, the, and that awe and reverence of God because God will be glorified. And I believe that God will be glorified in your life here this morning and in my life. So, where is your trust today? Because when it comes down to it, even in our weakness— there is no reason to change that trust in God because of the things that we see. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning.
And I thank you for stories like Jehoshaphat's and not only just his example of, of, of prayer and of trusting you, but God, your goodness and your greatness and the glory that you've displayed and the way that you work in the lives of your people. Uh, I pray that for us this morning as, as, we, as we think about the things around us, as we see things going not the way that we are, God, that we would not run away or be consumed by those things, but we would recognize our dependence on you and run to you. God, be with us this morning and help us to remember your goodness and how much you love and care about us. And we pray this in your son's name. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, we do have a a discussion guide, uh, and I would encourage you to take 15 to 20 minutes. If you're with some people, talk about it together. But if you're not, maybe it's an opportunity for you to reflect on some of those questions and some of those um, uh, scripture verses to to really dive deeper into this idea of trust in God despite our circumstances. Uh, There's also other information like the guest check-in, like the ability to give online, uh, or, or just connect with us and learn a little bit more about who we are as a church, and we would invite you to do that. Um, so thank you again. We appreciate that. We'd love to hear from you. If you have pictures uh, of, that you've taken of you or your family um, watching our live stream, love to send that to us. We, it's, it's such a great thing to see. Um, so thank you for that. So here, here, here's what I have for you this morning um, in our benediction. May God's grace be sufficient for you today, that even in your weakness, may his power be made perfect for you as you trust him. Thanks.